What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Easy Podcast. Uh, this is episode... Nine. Is it? Nine. Are you sure it's nine? I'm pretty sure. Isn't it? It could be eight. No, it's we've nine? done eight. What was eight? That eight was last week. Oh, well, this is episode <laughs> nine. So uh, welcome to episode nine of the Easy Podcast. Uh, I don't remember where I am half the time, but... yeah. Uh, today we're going to be talking about Fantastic Beasts, the crimes of Grindelwald. Do we have to? Nope, but I mean, we're going to real quick. And then we're going to talk about Overlord and Widows. Yes. yes and we then are. Uh, I got to go to California. So. Yeah, you did. Dude, we got to talk about that. Yep. And uh, that's going to basically be it. We'll have a little wrap up at the end of some trailers that have came out recently, and we'll talk about those. And But first... Eric. Yes. What have you been up to? Mm, about 5'11". Yeah? Oh, man. Mm-hmm. Sorry, we can't all be 6'4". <laughs> You're right, you jerk. <laughs> yeah, well, it's okay. You can fit into sports cars better. Yeah. Mm. I don't think I could fit into, like, a, a skyline very well. I don't know. We'll find out. Okay. All right. When are you getting your, uh, your, your uh, <laughs> R30, R34? Is that yeah. what I'm going to say? Well, yeah, I do want an R34. <clears throat> that's true. But I'll take I'll take a new one, too. Oh, man. There's a couple around town. I've seen ones in oh, my is this, neighborhood. Is this a car podcast now? Is if, what yeah, we we're... <laughs> Anyways, let's, let's tech, stop gaming. talking about cars <laughs> and let's start talking about a guy that uh, unfortunately has gone on to the great big comic book in the sky, mm. Stan Lee. Yeah. Um, I know we're a little bit late here and talking about it, but well, it was this week. It was. Yeah. So, um, man, Stan Lee, uh, that guy, I mean, he really touched anything pop culture in a lot of ways. Um, so much stuff is just based off of comic books that he was involved in. For and sure. And we wouldn't have the MCU without him. Nope. No, we wouldn't. I, I mean, it was, it, I was on my way to, um, a training, an offsite training, and Andrew sticks his head in the in the truck and goes, "Hey, did you hear about Stanley?" And I'm like, "No," yeah. but it, but the way he said it made it pretty obvious. Yeah, you know, you know and the dude's ninety five. I mean, it's a great life. Yeah, I mean, you really, gosh, just something about him that is always super interesting to me is that he he didn't really like start his career or at least get big in his career until he was like in his late thirties or early forties. Yeah. Which is pretty unique. I think in a lot of ways, yeah. um, he was kind of embarrassed to be the comic book guy for a little while. And then it, because he was on the old side. Well, no, I think it's just because it was kind of, you know, comic books were frowned upon in a lot of ways. Like they were considered childish and, you oh, know, yeah, yeah. and, yeah. but then they blew up in the, in the late sixties, um, the Marvel stuff, especially, um, mm-hmm. And he, you know, got popular. But I mean, yeah, he ninety five years old. Gosh, what a what a long period of time to be on this earth. Yeah, yeah. And I, my 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 first reaction was obviously sadness and um, just it was kind of a bummer. But um, my second thought was, man, I hope they recorded a, a dozen cameos for the next. Well, 10 or 12 I, yeah, movies. I guess James Gunn recorded five, and we've seen. I think two of them. So there's at least three more. The thing with that, I mean, it's super easy to have those. Well, I don't know if Stanley's, you know, foundation or whatever, whoever is in charge of his copyright and likeness will want them like CGIing him into movies. But I mean, the simplest way to do it is just kind of like, uh, I think Deadpool two did it where 
it's just like on a poster in the background. Oh yeah. Or it's like graffiti, yeah. you know, or something yeah, yeah. On, on a wall. Mm-hmm. That's the easiest way to do it. And just keep them in those movies still. Um, you know, I, I think it's, it's interesting that he got to see this kind of renaissance of Marvel mm-hmm. in his lifetime because they got into a, a bunch of issues in the nineties and then they kind of had, you know, they almost shut down completely. Right. Um, that's why they sold off a bunch of their rights to, Sony and 20th Century Fox, right. and, and now we're uh, now we are where we are now. And then but Disney ended up buying Marvel, Marvel right. together. Yeah. yeah, so I mean, it's man, it's so interesting to think of just the life that the guy lived and just how how positive he had been like the whole time. Um, he always he always came across as just a really happy dude that was just loving life and excited to be around and doing what he was doing. And he, you know, yeah. he said he never worked. He was already doing what he's, you know, wanted to do. And yeah, man, just a legend and icon gone. Um, yeah, sad stuff, but that work at least will will live on. So yeah, rest in peace, Stanley. We love your work. We'll, we'll always remember you and we'll keep your story and your legacy alive. Yeah. Speaking of uh, legacy, man, I'm getting good at these six. I got to visit the uh, the Warner Brothers studio backlot. Yes, you did. And, uh, and why on. were you there, actually? So it was my anniversary. Yeah, sweet. Yeah. It's so awesome that your wife is totally oh, all man, in. She in loves that. it. Yeah, that's cool. It's really cool. Um, one of one of the backlots was like seventy years old. Wow. Yeah, it, it was from nineteen thirty. Oh wow, seventy. So I guess nineteen thirty. It's almost eighty years old. I can't do yeah. math, but yeah. Like really, really incredible. And um, it was just amazing kind of the technology that they had there in the sense of like the backlot was made out of, um, I'm probably getting this wrong. I want to say polyurethane, but I don't think it was. But it was like basically all the bricks are molded bricks. They're not real bricks because it would have cost too much to have that much brick. And then also they need to be able to peel those backlots away and make them into something else if they ever needed to. But So it was crazy to think that 80 years ago they had the technology to make these tools and the molds for this plastic brick, basically, and it's mm-hmm. still there now. Yeah, it's cool. Really incredible stuff. So um, we got to see um, actual screen-used props and costumes from the DC movies. That was really cool. All the suits from the DC movies were 3D printed. Wait, what? Yeah, they're all 3D printed. And uh, the Flash's suit took four hours just to get into, which seems insane to me that you're wasting that much time just putting on a costume that has zero makeup to it. Right. It's not like you're putting on prosthetics and stuff. So it was just crazy to find out that they were all 3D printed and Aquaman's Justice League costume weighed 50 pounds on its own. So you had to carry that around the whole time. I mean, Jason Momoa, he can can carry some weight. (laughs) He's (laughs) He's not hurting in the muscle department. He's he's in good shape. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. like a 50-pound pack on your body. He's good, yeah, he's fine. But it's still, it's just incredible. I didn't realize that they were 3D printed and then also weighed that much or took that long to get in there. But um, they had some some Harry Potter props and, and stuff like that, which was really cool. Um, we like that more than probably anything else. But the So you got some wands thing, in your backpack? No, we did that <laughs> at Universal Studios. <laughs> That's sweet. But... Um, I got mm-hmm. to visit um, on the tour. You go through the Warner Prop House, which is a hundred years old. Of just every prop you can imagine was in there that you needed. And they're all built into different sections of the room, and like you needed something from 
East Asia. Okay, well, this section's got you covered for like decorating a set from East Asia. But then the coolest thing that I got to see while we were there was the original red leather chairs that they used for the Matrix movies, oh, which was just awesome. Dude, I would have pulled the truck up outside. Oh my gosh. Yeah, like, it was. We really are cool. running off. Yeah. With the, we're running off with Morpheus's <laughs> chair for <Yeah>. sure. <laughs> it was pretty sweet to see that and be like, oh man, that's that's really it. Like that's yeah. that's what they use, but. The coolest thing about that was that um, anybody, as long as you have money, can come to that prop house and rent props. Yeah. Wow. Like anything you want. As long as you got money, you just, you come in, you, uh, I think you can like offer like certain amounts. So what I think what they do is they give like a value to a piece and then you can say like how long you want it and then you give like a percentage of that. I, I might be wrong, but anyway, really cool. That's cool. So if you're in California and you need some props... It's not closed off. It's open to literally anybody that has money. Come in, get what props you need, go shoot your movie and come back and drop them off. Like, yeah, it's really cool. So I was... I wonder how many times those props don't come back. Well, they're barcoded and... Like, I, we're going to rent the Matrix chairs right. for our next yeah, feature. Yeah, we're going we're to quote unquote rent. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I was fortunate. Like, I was lucky to be in the right place at the right time. And we were walking by and there was actually some... Um, art directors not art directors sorry um set decorators actually checking out some props while we were there really and it was like a it was like a sheet like a like a paid like a booklet that you had to fill a bunch of information out so yeah. I, I doubt anybody's getting away with anything there without getting caught afterwards well they're probably gonna put a big fat you're gonna have to pay a yeah it's not like you're money, it's yeah. not like you're coming in and paying with cash you're putting it on a card that yeah it can get yeah. charged if you lose it i mean could you imagine what the morpheus chairs would be if you stole them and they mm. charged you or you lost them and they charged you i mean no a chair that's actually probably a thousand dollars if you just were to buy it would be ten grand probably for yeah. because of what it is or a hundred grand yeah. because of how much you know you think about what they would make renting it over right. whatever year period right. yeah crazy that's really cool though it was it was a lot of fun so it, it was you know it was interesting because we we wanted to see a bunch of the Harry Potter stuff you know and. And I get there and I'm like, oh man, Blade Runner is Warner Brothers, duh, obviously. Mm -hmm. So they had, you know, some Blade Runner props. They had the blimp from Blade Runner and it was all lit up and stuff. And um, then the main thing that we wanted to go see was some Harry Potter stuff. So we're, my wife and I are pretty big fans of that. And um, a lot of really cool stuff, fireplace and stuff from, from the movie and some of the signs and just some really cool things that you wouldn't see anywhere else. You know, you wouldn't see like on at Universal Studios or whatever. It's just real, like, screen use stuff, so it was pretty cool. But we went, what, last week, and then Fantastic Beasts 2 came out. So did you get to see week. some of those props? There were some there, yeah. Um, Johnny Depp's dyed hair and Johnny Depp's contacts yeah, well, and his dyed outfit. wig, no. <laughs> Unfortunately, or fortunately, I guess I should say, they were not there. Um, or was that his real hair? I, was, I don't know. That dude might be bald by now. Yeah, but he's got enough money that he could do whatever he wants with his hair. Anyways, not a good mm -hmm. dude. But um, I want to talk about Fantastic Beasts real quick. Let's just get it out of the way. If if you say so. Um, I didn't see it. Yeah, I know you, you didn't did. see it. So I want to talk about this. Um, so Fantastic Beasts two is not fantastic. Not fantastic. <laughs> no. Um, I mean, the first one's not the this best. Is crimes either. of. Grindelwald. Grindelwald. Yeah, it's a German name. Grindelwald. Yes, basically. Well, yeah, it's a little on the nose with that because he's basically like Wizard Hitler. 
in a lot of ways. Wow. Yeah. So um, the German name makes sense. So is he trying to is he trying to eradicate he, all the mudbloods or like what's his deal? Yes. So yes, and he's trying yeah, to purify yes, everything. And, um, so he's what they call a. Um, I'm going to get this wrong. Do not write me. I know Harry Potter fans are very, very adamant about the. Lore I'm very casual, so you're not yeah. going to get it from me. So <laughs> the um, the the purebreds, the pure bloods, mm-hmm. the full blooded wizards, which are just you know wizards from lines and lines of wizards, and that's all they've ever been as wizards. Mm-hmm. Um, well, he's one of those, and he wants to get all of those pure blood, pure blood, blood, pure blood wizards together. And basically kill everybody else. Like anybody that's not a pure blood, like human or even half, you know, wizard, half muggle or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, He just, he doesn't want, he just wants to take over the world. So that's his kind of. But the wizard world or the whole world? Both worlds. Or the wizarding world and the earthly world. And the MCU. MCU. (laughs) Yeah. He's going to bust in uh, different, different properties. Yeah. But, um, the the quantum dimension. Yeah. He's going to go and meet Ant-Man over there. Yeah. Um, this, this movie, I'm not going to talk about it from a movie goer perspective. I'm going to try not to at least, but, um, it was interesting because we watched immediately when we got home, my wife was like, I wonder if any of the Harry Potter movies are on HBO or Netflix or whatever. And so we, we find them online or, um, on our, on one of the apps that we have on our Apple TV. And, um, she starts watching them. She just watches, um, the first one that's directed by David Yates, who David Yates directed the last, I think four Harry Potter movies. And then also the first fantastic beast and this one. Okay. And then he's also slated to direct the next three or four fantastic. They have these planned out till five already, which right, is just right. ridiculous. Well, but, so, um, this one had, um, Jude law in as, as uh, Dumbledore, um, Dumbledore. Right. right. Um, pretty great. He's only in about eight minutes. Oh, so whatever. Um, also, um, I, I'm going to, I probably won't spoil this, but then again, there's not a whole lot to spoil in this movie. It's kind of a movie that doesn't matter. Um, it, it really felt like it could have been kind of like solo. Yeah, and then also <laughs> kind of like a, the Last Jedi, where right. where you start off and where you end, nothing really mattered in the middle right. of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you're kind of in the same spot. Right. Um, yeah, this movie felt it felt like it was just a lead into the next movie. It's filler. Yeah, it, felt, it definitely felt like a filler movie. But yeah, it was interesting because we were watching the first David Yates one that he directed in the Harry Potter movies. Which and, was which one? Um, Order of the Phoenix. Okay, so that's the yeah. fourth one. I yeah, think. that was legit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, no, sorry, fifth one. That's the fifth one. Um, and it was like twenty minutes in, and I'm, and I'm like, this already has more character and more interesting moments. Mm. And I don't know if it was just because he already had four movies prior to build up, or it's a it's a a matter of well, they have they have hundreds and hundreds of pages of book material to go off of for right. these Harry Potter movies, whereas Fantastic Beasts is written completely from scratch. Like there isn't really yeah, it's for the screen, book, it's right. written for the screen, and yeah. it's and these movies are written by J.K. Rowling. Whereas the other ones, the screenplays weren't written by J.K. Rowling. Mm, mm-hmm. She just had the story by, basically. Right. Um, the movie's fine. Like, it's it's fine. It's it's a movie. If I you're bored I, and not doing anything, and it, it happens to pop up on yeah, Netflix. If you want more Harry Potter world, it's fine. It's fine to put on and go do something else and hear wizardy things in the background and look up every once in a while and be like, oh, then there's another scene with Jude Law, and then he's gone for another 30 minutes. 
but it just kind of lacks some of the, I don't know, the character and the magic of even the first Fantastic Beast movie. No pun intended. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. It's um, lacking the magic. Yeah, and it was weird because the first one, I don't, I, can't, I didn't look it up, I should have, but the first one, I don't know what they shot it on, but it, it still felt like a Harry Potter movie. It still looked visually like a Harry Potter movie. So from a technical standpoint, this movie, it f- almost felt like a BBC TV show. Wow. Um, like a high-end BBC TV mm-hmm. show. So I don't know if you've ever seen Sherlock with um, Benedict mm-hmm. Cumberbatch. Mm-hmm, yeah. And um, Martin Freeman. But he, like, by the way, that show's great. But the way that that looks, it still looks like a TV, um, European TV movie. So I don't know. I mean, they shot this, they shot the second one on Alexa 65, which is their large format, um, not the LF. It's even the bigger format. But it just, it looked... I don't know why it looked like too crisp hmm. and not soap opera. It didn't have that look to it. I just, I, I don't know. I can't put my finger on it. It just felt a little 30 frames per second, not 24 hmm. or maybe like it had a lower it was, shutter, you know, it something just, it had more something of a digital look. To yeah. It, it looked it did, very yeah. digital, which is strange yeah. because the Alexa image is like the most filmic image you can get. Um, but then I started thinking about it and the, uh, the Revenant also was shot on the 65 early prototype 65. And I, you know, that movie is really crisp, even though it's like a grit, it's a really gritty and dirty wilderness movie. Mm-hmm. It's super clean in the image. Mm-hmm. And it started to make me think about how important now in how, how crisp these sensors are and how much resolution you're getting. And I think 4k is, should probably have been the max. Yeah. Um, you can upscale a lot of stuff to 4K and you can't even tell. There's a great um, website and article. I, I can't think of this guy's name. I'll, I'll remember it and I'll put it in the show notes. But where he actually takes like 35 millimeter scanned in footage and then upscales it to 4K. And then he takes in like 1080 footage and upscales it to 4K and you cannot tell a difference. Wow. So it, if you do it properly when you have the right tools to do it, I'm not saying you go in and you, you upscale it in Premiere. Yeah. Like these, these are thousands and thousands of dollars worth of tools for upscaling sure um yeah and a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar avid machine right yeah Mm -hmm. so i'm not saying that anybody can do it but a studio could do it so i think the argument of do we need more k's you know i've i've been i've been a pretty big advocate for red in in a lot of ways i don't think the 8k system is really the best option um, for like their normal sensors. So they have the helium and then the, uh, the Genesis, which are both eight K's, but I really like the way that their eight K monstro, which is their, their big fist division camera looks, but it's something about cramming those smaller, you know, the more K's into a smaller image size that I don't like when you, when you take eight K and you put it, they're basically bigger pixels right. on a larger sensor. Yeah. So it's the same amount of pixels, but they're bigger. And you don't, and, 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 and consuming that content, you don't want to see people's pores in their no. skin. And that's what, that's the kind of detail that you're getting with yeah. these sensors. And, and and it didn't help that I saw it. Um, I was able to see this in the, in the Cine one here at the Harkins. And so it was a 4k projection and I mm-hmm. looked it up and they did master this in 4k. So it isn't upscaled or anything at all. So the, the Alexa 65 is, is 6.5k, I think. So the 65, I think goes out of that also 65 millimeter. 
but um, so then they downscale it to 4K, master it out at 4K, and then ship it. Um, so it looked it looked too clean. Yeah. And they shot it on Airy 65 primes also. So what basically what I'm trying to get to here is that now that we have these Ks and we have these high resolution sensors that are super clean or they can be um more than anything now i think lens selection is is your film stock now yeah i think it's less about the case and the sensors and more about what kind of characteristics do i want out of the shots that i'm getting yep and so i need lenses that are going to give me interesting characteristics and it felt like these lenses had no characteristics at all Interesting. Yeah. Almost like you were shooting um, on like a Canon lens. Just just, oh, just wow. very normal looking. Just yeah. very straight, run-of-the-mill kind of a look. Yeah. Um, the color grade is fine. It, it, it felt a little brighter than most Harry Potter movies. I don't know if that was intentional or not um, to not make it look just so grim because like the last three or four Harry Potters are yeah. very dark. Right. Um, so I don't know, but all that to be said, I think the, the, my, my two biggest takeaways with this movie were lens selection is very important in how your, your film looks and people should focus more on that now than anything because film stocks are gone. I mean, they're gone. Yeah. Um, also, Oh, a side note, all the Harry Potter movies shot on film. Yeah. So that was another, thing that I think really probably helped that and give it its own look too. Mm -hmm. Um, Shot on Vista, no Vision, sorry, Vision 500 and Vision 100 stock, I think. But anyways, so the other thing about Fantastic Beasts was a lot of characters, none of them needed to be there or some of them were there and had no purpose whatsoever. No development. No development at all um, on a lot of them. And, And if there was any development, it was just all of a sudden like exposition piled on in a moment, like just people just talking to straight up talking to each other yeah, to get the exposition out instead of you slowly kind of figuring stuff out. And then two minutes later, that exposition doesn't matter because, Oh, all that information was wrong. Anyways, this is actually like, it was a really weird twist um, that I had to find out for my wife because I went to the bathroom, but <laughs> anyways, it's, if it's one of those movies where it's okay for you to get up and go to the bathroom in the middle of, yeah. then you know well, it's like, wait, wait I for got, Netflix. I got up and I went to the bathroom and, and I was gone. I'll be honest, I was gone a little while. And so I came back and I go, oh man, did anything crazy? Did I miss anything crazy? You missed a lot. So then the end of the movie happens and then there's this big reveal at the end of the movie and I won't spoil it. And uh, I'll go, oh, oh, was that, was that what I missed? Because to me, it was a reveal at the end of the movie. He's like, oh, was that what I missed? And she goes, no, actually, that just happened just now. I was like, oh, so I didn't miss anything then. <laughs> I really didn't. So she tells me what I ended up missing. I was like, that had no relevance on the rest of the movie because now one of those characters isn't there anymore. And then the wow. other character isn't who you thought he was. And it doesn't, doesn't matter. I want to talk about characters because um, I think screenwriting, obviously, nothing would be anything without scripts. Absolutely. Um you know, th- there is no movie, there is no TV show, there is no commercial without somebody first having an idea, writing it down, and then fleshing out a script or a story. Even if that script has no dialogue, somebody wrote something absolutely to get that idea out there. Yeah, and even even in this, even in in the MCU where they do a lot of improv and a lot of improv lands in the final product, there's still a script. Yeah, yeah, right. So J.K. Rowling wrote this, like I said earlier, and it feels it feels like 
you know, I, I love the Harry Potter movies and the books. I think they're great. I right. think I think she stick to novel writing. Well, not I don't. I don't. You know, writing. I don't want to say. I, I, I never like telling people what lane to stay in. Sure. Um, because I will say that I, I did really enjoy the first Fantastic Beast, but it was more of that whimsical world, and it was kind of. It was kind of a happy movie, I guess, mm-hmm. which was which was different um, because the last four Harry Potters was such downers. I mean, in a lot of ways, they were very dark. So then you come into this Wizarding World, and it's in the 1920s, and it's like, oh yeah, this is cool, you know. Um, but then this one, it just it just really fell flat for me, and the characters just didn't matter. And I bring that up because the contrast that I want to make to that is um, the other movie that I saw this week, which I want anybody listening to this podcast to like stop listening to this podcast. Push pause. Go watch this movie, which is called Overlord, ah. and then come back. Okay. Okay? You're back? All right. Let's talk about Overlord. So, Overlord is this little film that could. All right? Nobody has seen this movie. It hasn't made like any money. And it's produced by J.J. Abrams, but it's directed by this guy named Julius Avery, who directed this movie in 2014 um, called Son of a Gun with uh, Ewan McGregor. Mm-hmm. I've never seen it. I've never even heard of it. Uh, I think it's Australian or something. Anyways, it doesn't matter. So, And then he did a bunch of short films before that, and then he came into this. Now, after this movie, he's going to go do the Flash Gordon remake. Oh, that's wow. his next project, which, wow. you know, that's that's typical of what's happening right now. You get these indie directors and then give them a giant big tentpole movie. And yeah, they either do it really well or they screw it up and they never work again in their lives. Right. Um, it's one. I know I, I say this a lot. It's one of the best looking movies this year. So we have this um, first man. And mm-hmm. then what else did I see that I said was really good looking? Well, I said Stars Born. Oh, Stars Born. Stars right. Born looks yeah. Weird. I mean, so and then and then the other one is Halloween. Um, I think those three, I guess four now, um, probably the best looking movies that I've seen this year. I mean, I haven't seen Star is Born, but it looks great. I mean, I don't have to I don't have to see that movie to know that it looks incredible. Uh, Matthew Libatique just killing it on that one. But I bring up the cinematographers for Overlord because it's two people. And I've really? never seen that before in a movie. Yeah. You'll have double directors or like two writers or something, which the two writers doesn't really matter. But directing, you know, that's typical Coen brothers and, and Wachowskis. But <clears throat> this was, you know, two cinematographers. I don't know who did what or how that even worked on set or if somebody worked on it enough to where like the, um, Oh, what is it? The A- ASC American Society of Cinematographers um, required their name to also be on it. Um, that that may have been an issue there, but either way, um, the first cinematographer is uh, Lori Rose, and she did Free Fire, and she's worked on a TV show called PQ Blinders. Have you ever seen PQ Blinders? No. Now you gotta check that out. It's um, Killian Murphy from Dark Knight. He's uh, Scarecrow, mm-hmm. and then Tom Hardy's in it too. And Sam Neill, and it's it's a great show. I think it takes place in like the 30s or 40s, maybe the 20s, um, and like just run down London. And it's about this gang um, in that era. And Killian Murphy plays one of the gang members. Anyways, it's it's really great. So check that show out. I think it has like five seasons now. Wow. Yeah, it's really good. Free Fire, um, kind of a. I don't want to say boring movie, but it's not super, super interesting. Not a whole lot happens in it. It's a, it's a movie that takes place all within one warehouse um, between a couple people trying to buy some guns and then stuff goes crazy. And anyways, I had a lot of fun with that movie, even though it's not a great movie. Um, it still looks great. Um, but the second director, sorry, the second director of photography is Fabian or Fabian 
Wagner, and he has worked on Game of Thrones, but he was also the Justice League cinematographer. Really? Yeah, which I didn't realize that Justice League wasn't shot by Matthew Libatique. Mm. I could have swore he did it, but I guess he just did Batman versus Superman and Man of Steel. Mm. So... Anyways, I thought that was really interesting. Um, this movie looks incredible. Like the color grade on it and the camera movements. The camera is like almost always moving and it's almost always moving like through stuff and around stuff. There's this one scene where um, one of the characters, he jumps out of the back of like a military truck. Like this is World War II. So it's one of those big trucks. You know, the one that I'm talking about. If you've ever Half seen track. Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Mm-hmm. So He's jumping out of the back of that, and then the camera follows him from jumping out of the back of that, and then he crawls like under the truck. The camera goes under the truck with him, and then it comes back, goes in front of the front tire, and then uh, reveals him walking like out from under the truck, and it just follows him to the door where he goes. Like it's a really like there's just tons of stuff like that. And we talked about blocking with the Infinity War episode. And this movie is like a master class in blocking small spaces. Wow. Like it's really interesting. And there's a couple of really long like single takes that are just they're not like, oh, my gosh, this is 11 minutes long. But they're they're long enough to where you notice them and you're like, oh, that was worth it. Like that was an interesting thing to do for the whole take of that to have him just for a single action so getting back to the color grade on this though um the color grade is done by this company called company three who basically if you you like a movie and how it's looked in the past like five to eight years it's probably been this company that color graded it um i follow a few of the guys that work there on instagram and uh, they're on instagram also i think it's just at company three so go and check them out it's it's some really great stuff on there that like you get so inspired from, but talking about the writing and comparing it to like the fantastic beast character, like each character in overlord is totally needed for the story to progress. Like it's actually really interesting in like character development. And then also just like this character had to be there for this thing to happen. This character needed to do this for this to blah, 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 blah. It's a totally different, like, view on script writing that feels it feels I don't know how to say this without sounding bad but it feels old and but that's like in a good way Mm -hmm. it feels classic it Mm. feels um man it feels like it feels so fleshed out like people put a ton of thought into it as they were writing it and it was actually written by two guys but the one guy that I wanted to talk about um that wrote it is um oh my gosh I didn't write his name down but the Revenant, which I brought up earlier, uh, accidentally I didn't even think about this connection, but the guy that wrote the Revenant script, he wrote Overlord also. And the movie just feels like a movie from 20 years ago or 80 years ago, 80 years ago, 1980s, where you you had characters and they had moments and they had motivations and they had things to do and none of them were overly stereotyped or boring at all. You know, there was never a boring really moment. And I think it's great. I think it's... I think it's a really interesting script. I'd like to get my hands on the actual script from like online or something and see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Fantastic Beasts, it just felt like characters that didn't have anything to do really and weren't needed for the story to progress. And Overlord was like such a polar opposite of that. I actually saw Overlord before I saw Fantastic Beasts. So I don't know if it was 
something that I noticed even more because of Fantastic Beasts or, or what? Because the contrast didn't help. Yeah. Gotcha. So anyways, um, camera movement, uh, everything, character development, unique characters, unique moments, um, stuff that I hadn't really seen before. There was never a point in this movie where I was like, I know where this is going to go. Um, you never knew when somebody was going to maybe meet their demise and all this stuff. And just a really tight script, a really great script and a really great movie. Um, just like I said, it just it felt classic. Um, it felt it felt like a Steven Spielberg movie, but without like the Steven Spielberg magic, you know, um, where it's not it's not fantastical, but it's just so well done, so thought out. And, and I really, I really can't recommend this movie enough. Like it's great. Go check it out. Um, no matter where you're listening to this right now, like if it's still in theaters, go check it out. If it's on Netflix or whatever, like go see this. It's, it's great. And I'm actually really excited to see what else, um, this director does and and this team does. So side note on this, Wyatt Russell is one of the main characters. He's the actor. Mm-hmm. Wyatt Russell. Kurt Russell's son. Really? Yeah. I had no idea that they were actually related. I had seen Wyatt Russell in an episode of Black Mirror, and he's great in that. I was like, oh, this is awesome. So I... So come, Kurt Russell named his son Wyatt? Yes, but... After Wyatt no, Earp? No, he was born like five years before he was in Wyatt Earp. Tombstone? Yeah, before... Well, sorry. Yeah, Wyatt Earp was... Uh, Kevin Costner. Tombstone um, is, is, yeah. Interesting, right? Wow. Yeah, so five years before he's Wyatt Earp in Tombstone, he has a kid named him Wyatt. Now that kid is grown up and is acting and is really good. Wow. And there's That's a scene cool. in it where he's like kind of like covered in blood and stuff and he's just been fighting another guy and he's like kind of turned a little ways. And I'm like, this looks just like Kurt Russell in every 80s Kurt Russell movie. Wow. Like he looks so Fitting much image, like, huh? like if you it's it's kind of funny that they didn't just like get him to be younger Kurt Russell in Guardians of the Galaxy 2 like cuz right, he, he looks right. so much like him it's insane especially when he's like kind of beat up and um you know if they if they redid the thing or they needed a younger Kurt Russell to do another you know maybe they do escape another from escape New from York. New York yeah, right mm-hmm. get this guy he's a great actor like he's not just one of those things he's not like we're going to actually have you play your dad yeah who better than your son right, <laughs> right? and he's so good he at knows it. him he's, at home <laughs> oh man he's such a great actor in this um he's a really great character and again i just i keep saying unique and all these characters are unique um, in the context of this movie. They're unique. I mean, it's not saying it's the first time I've ever seen like an Italian character in a World War II movie. That's in every World War II movie. But just the way that they go about it is really unique. So anyways, I'm talking a lot. Go check it out. Overlord, see it however you can. And what else did you see this week? Because I've been talking right, for well, so, 40 minutes now. So you're, I'm, so I was, wasn't going to see it because I'm not a big fan of the overly gory stuff. I just, But now I want to see it. So now I'm going to go yeah. see it. Because, I mean, even Saving Private Ryan was gory at sure. parts. And, and, that's, and that's a true element of war that you can't escape. So yeah, there's an element there's of not, re- It's not war gore, though, in this, really. Um, um, hmm. anyway, I'll go yeah, watch it. Go watch it. I mean, there's we'll a couple of it. moments that like, if you, if you're, if you don't like horror at all, or if you don't like gore at all, you might like have to close your eyes for a second. Like it's a little over the top. It's not, it's never over the top. It's not, 
man, I don't know. Maybe I'm probably not the right person <laughs> to be talking because because we were talking last episode about how I wanted to go see this, and right. then, and then you were like, oh, Halloween wasn't enough for you. I'm like, no, and Halloween's like, yeah, to a normal person, Halloween's pretty gory. It was, yeah, but it wasn't to me. So yeah, I'm probably not the right person to be like Asking gauging that question, here. Yeah, yeah so. Um, I would say there's not a whole lot of like over the top gore in this, but a normal person might say that there is. So, gotcha. but anyways, it doesn't gotcha. matter. It's it's like such a side piece to the rest of the movie. Like it's great. I think yeah. it's great. Go check it out. If it in like is it if it's creatively used and it enhances the the experience, yes. not like over the top, overtly used. So it's in in it. Yeah, Do you know what I mean? It's not a Saw movie. Yeah, yeah. It's not a Saw yeah, movie yeah. where it's just used as like right. a weird prop. Yeah. It's used to like bring you into this moment of what the heck is happening. Right. Gotcha. All right. Well, you did another thing you mentioned, you talked about blocking and shots and stuff like that. And, you know, getting into the technical aspect. Um, I was super excited. My son came in town, surprised his sister for her, his younger sister for her birthday. Um, nobody knew he was coming. Um, and he just showed up Friday afternoon. It was, it was really cool. (laughs) That's crazy, man. It was really cool. So, um, but she had something already planned with some of her friends from school. So my wife took them to, to the, you know, the theme park or whatever. And so he and I went and saw Widows. Yeah, so this is the new Steve McQueen movie. Yes. Yeah. And what was amazing about it is it had these Hitchcock-esque moments in it where they're, the way that they cut the editing in, in the first 10 minutes, the the way that they, I mean, it it, it almost, um, the, 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 the way they played with the timeline okay. going back and forth was reminiscent of memento to some degree oh, wow. okay and so th- where they're they're cutting back and forth and there's this reflective moment but at the same time they're introducing you to the characters and developing the characters and it was just you were all in after the first 10 minutes that's awesome it was it was so well done yeah and it was so refreshing because it was done in a in a manner that isn't your cookie cutter template, you know, plug in, here's your three part, you know, right. here's, yeah. here's your, your three act structure. Yeah, your three right. act structure. And um, it was just so, so well done. And there's a nice plot twist to it. Um, you know, so the, the writing was, was done really well. Um, yeah. I've, I've really been a fan of Stephen Queen's stuff. Um, yeah. I know you, you, I don't think you've seen much of his work, if any. Well, I saw 12 years of Slave. Oh, okay. Yep. I, yeah. Yeah. That was man i mean the subject matter right i mean if you yeah so i mean that was fantastic and obviously obviously winning the oscar on that one um yeah but he brought the same team back together for this so yeah that's really cool i I think he's really enjoyed probably working with those guys so Mm -hmm. he's been working with them a couple times now i think so who who wrote this? So Gillian Flynn was this who wrote the screenplay, also alongside Steve McQueen. So they okay. it was a co-write. Okay, and it was based off of the um, the I guess there's a book um, or novel. Linda Laplante was the okay. original uh, story writer. Um, but just it was just it was well written. It wasn't your typical heist movie. You look at the trailer and you're like, oh, it's a girl power heist movie. And it absolutely was not that at all. It wasn't Ocean's 8? It wasn't Ocean's <laughs> 8, no. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's some elements in it that uh, 
you know, you have Liam Neeson and uh, Viola Davis are the, the two main characters and they're in a, r- a relationship. And so it was cool because that's an interracial relationship that's being portrayed on screen. And not that they make a big deal out of that or try to, but it's a thing. And it's, and it's the way they... Put Is there th- aspects of that coming into play or is it no it is well normal yeah it's just it's just it was it was normal and it was in the way they portrayed it it was it was like yeah that's how it should be it shouldn't matter what 2018 yeah who cares nobody should care anymore we're not in the 70s anymore um it does come into play a little bit where there's tension between like a racist some, cop some or of something. their characters okay. yeah, yeah i'm not going to get too much into sure. it i don't want to spoil anything yeah. but but there and it, it's not it, it's not overtly in your face okay. you know it's subtle the way it's done is very uh very creative and um robert duvall colin farrell yeah there's a ton of people um, in this movie um, Elizabeth Debicki, um, she she does a, an amazing job as well. Uh, Michelle Rodriguez, um, and yeah, I mean it was it was well done. Uh, Viola Davis's performance is just fantastic. I mean you you just believe she's feeling all these things. Yeah, and um, I think she's just gonna get more and more like awesome as she keeps getting these gigs. Yeah. Like she's a great actress, I think. Yeah. Amazing. Um, and Sean Bobbitt was the DP on this, who was also the DP on 12 years of slave. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it was edited by Joe Walker who also edited 12 years. It was just well done. It was well done. Um, I highly recommend it. I mean, the from the look, from the feel, from the story ride. I mean, mm-hmm. you you go on the ride and the twists and the turns, and it just has a a fresh feel to it. That, like I said, the editing in the first ten or fifteen minutes just really grabs you. That's and cool. Then you're in. Yeah, that's cool. I I've been a fan of like I don't know unique unique edits lately. It feels it feels like there's been um, like Bohemian Rhapsody. Um, we talked about last episode. The first like half of that movie I felt like it was edited really slick like it was really interesting oh cool and kind of unique and and it kind of you know takes a fart and the and the last half editing wise is just pretty traditional I think more people should just have like fun with is the edits like just I don't know it takes the the problem with the system that we have is that you know studios need to make money that's their job and they know what makes money and Certain things probably don't make money and being a little more creative with your edits is one thing that doesn't typically make or break the box office. So they know, you know, hey, let's let's stick to this. We know this works. We know this is going to get people in the seats. We know this isn't going to turn anybody off to it. But I think in a situation like this movie, uh, I haven't seen it, but I'm guessing it's probably not trying to set up this weird cinematic universe of, of widows or something. So Yeah, no. I mean, it doesn't really... You don't get the sense that they're at the end that they're setting up yeah. a sequel. So it, they probably could write one and it could, would sure. probably do well. I, you know, as a forty million dollar budget, it it'll probably probably make eighty to a hundred. Forty million. That's interesting. Yeah, it feels like lately I've been finding those movies that are in that budget range like the best movies lately because um, Overlord had a thirty million, hmm. and so it's like this mid budget movie that they just don't really make a whole lot anymore. Yeah. Um, at least not that get like theatrical releases. Netflix mm-hmm. is doing them all the time. But um, yeah, it feels like they're they're able to have more freedoms and creativity in there because that budget is probably lower. And so it's not a huge risk to the studios in the sense of 
you know, the marketing is probably not nearly as high as say a fantastic beast, which I'm sure fantastic beast had a $180 million budget or something like that. You know, I don't yeah. know for sure, but, um, but what does that say if the story doesn't matter? You know, there's, there's right. so much to that. So yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd be fine watching a $40 million movie as long as it had a good story and it was well, done well. We're talking about how studios in apply funding and budgets and, and the creativity gets stifled because of what works, what doesn't work. We mm. have, we have, we have, uh, we have a formula that we know is going to get a certain level or a certain percentage of return on our investment. Right. And how much of that business side of it, how much of that, you know, poindexter element gets just totally crushes things that we we might have seen differently. Right. And so and that's kind of the push and pull. That's that's part of and I think that part of the reason why MC I keep going to MCU, but part of the reason why MCU is, is is crushing it as much as they are is is that not only do they get the big budget at this point, but they also have creative freedoms. Yeah, um, mm. different type of movie. I get it, but at the same time, you know how much. Yeah, I mean, and I'm sure some of that still exists. A lot of creative freedoms, there. but at the same time, it's still very much. Kevin Feige telling you what you have to put in the movie. <laughs> well, yeah, that's so, true. So, I mean, I, I don't know how much creative freedom you could say the MCU movies have. I mean, the, the, the most obvious example of that is Edgar Wright dropping out of Ant-Man because of creative differences. Right. Yep. Um, so I, you know, I, yeah, I mean, I think they've gotten a little, they've gotten a little more lenient as they've been popular where they know like, Hey, this is going to work. Um, this formula works, but you can do it this way if you want to. Um, yeah, I don't know if I would say the <laughs> if, MCU if you is want super to, but creative. you won't be on the next one. Yeah, right. <laughs> so I, yeah, I mean, there's, I think there's a lot of creative collaboration in the MCU. I think the Russo yeah. brothers, especially probably more than anybody. Um, but I don't know. I don't know about creative, complete creative control or liberties that the MCU has. Um, I think the polar opposite of that though, is probably you. And I mean, we're getting into it again, but DC, maybe we're going to talk about MCU, the DC movies, I think are shot with too much creative liberties from the director and probably writer. Um, and then those movies get into the edit and then the studio has to try and save it. Yeah. And so then that, I think that's the polar opposite of not having enough creative control um, from a studio or any sort of just no, saying no to right. anybody, you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, but it's interesting that L, that side of it, it's, you know, it's, you know what somebody can do and what they're capable of doing. Yeah. And then you pay them a bunch of money and then you put handcuffs on them. Well, I mean, oftentimes you'll see people that like, oh, I just want to, you brought it up. You brought it up a couple episodes ago. Um, you know, Axel Rose. Right. Funded um, Chinese democracy. Yeah. And that was his thing. Yeah. Well, the other seven and a half million dollars of, he took, he took, took, he took, took four million of Warner's yeah. money to so start. I, yeah. Maybe that's not a good example then. I guess I'm trying to think of I'm trying to think of an example and I can't really think of one, but um, I, I know somewhere in my in my lizard brain there's um, you know there's memories of movies that I've I've heard of or I've seen 
that um, somebody like the director funded completely on his own. And then so he had nobody to tell him no. Oh. And then they're not good movies. So it, you know. Which is why you haven't seen any of them. Yeah, right. Well, I mean, I feel like I have, but maybe they're, you know, crappy movies that I'm just forgetting. I don't know. They're not usually good movies from from what I can remember. So, yeah, I, I think it's an interesting balance. It is. Because let's, let's rewind the clock 80 years, right? Let's go back to, you know, the golden age. And was it the same? Was it the same way then? No, I think you probably had producers making movies then. Yeah. Um, so studio, you, studios demanding what needed to be in a movie more than you have now. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a great podcast. I don't think it's, I don't think it has the episodes up anymore. I don't know if they got like a copyright strike or something, but it was, um, I think it was called the history of motion pictures or something like that. And it was basically a, um, kind of like a narrative podcast where there was different characters and they would go through the history of the big studios. Um, anyways, I learned a lot through that, but it was really interesting to hear like the demands cause the studios knew what made money and that was their whole point. So they needed, they needed this picture show and this picture show and this picture show to make money and it had to be done this way, this way, this way, and this way it had to be checked and every box had to be checked. And I think you have a lot more creativity now in directors and stuff. And before they were yeah, all studio released movies. I think you probably saw that um, come up in the seventies with the, the, um, I can't think what the, the Zotrope crew, you know, um, Coppola and, and, right, and Lucas yeah. and mm-hmm. Spielberg and yeah. all those guys, um, you know, Scorsese and, and stuff. And so I think you had a big um, renaissance there where you now had guys with vision right. making movies instead of studios making movies. And then those guys took those movies and then they, you know, they sold them or somebody picked them well, up. Well, right. And, when but, Lucas does Star Wars and then it just creates this, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's it, not a world but, without it now. But at first... At first, they were like, "This is awful." Like this, like right. Nobody understood no, it. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah right. I was like, "This is the worst thing ever. Yeah. This isn't going to go anywhere." And, and then his it, ex-wife ends up winning the Academy Award for editing. <laughs> you know, I mean that. It, yeah, it's it's an interesting. It's that's that's a episode in itself, just talking about the studio system. And I don't have a ton of experience compared to some people with it, but. Yeah, um, man. I, yeah, I don't really know what else to say about that. Yeah, I mean, you, that's probably one of the reasons why you rewind the clock and you had these the, the, the certain types of movies over and over and over again, right? Yeah. You'd have maybe new actors right. that would put kind of this new coat of paint on it, so yeah. to speak. You know, the westerns that oh, I mean, that, just millions. The formula, of, yeah. but yeah, and you. But you, you only like, remember certain ones because they had a unique vision to them, right? You know, Sergio Leone had a unique vision to his right. westerns, and that's why they're the most remembered out of all of them. You know, right? Sidney Sidney Lumet does oh, Twelve Angry Men in the way that that was. You know, that was the court. The way that was shot, I mean, was just right. It was amazing. You know, the use of the lenses and how the shots got tighter and tighter as the story got more and Gosh, more that, tense. I yeah, mean, that's a movie. We need to have a classic movie. We do. Talk, we like, should. About like three movies. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, gosh, it's, this is, this is turning into be like a, a script episode, but it just, it just really shows you like how important story is when you're making a movie and, um, fleshing out characters and making them interesting and, um, yeah, just having that creativity work in with the characters and, I think there's a lot of style over substance in the last 15, 20 years of movies. Um, 
yeah, I, you know, I don't, I don't really have anything else to say about that except for, um, segueing from style to sub- style to substance in, um, you know, I, we talked about it a while back, but there was, um, trailer for the new Transformers movie, the Bumble- Bumblebee movie. Right. And I'm actually excited about seeing this, which is the first Transformers movie I've been excited about seeing in a long time, probably since the first movie came out. Um, yeah. Cause I'm like, so I've been so over the transformers yeah. for, for so long it's when I, noisy. I w- literally I'm, I'm considering seeing it mm-hmm. because you're intrigued of seeing it. Not because when I f- first saw the trailer, I was like, I, it was an eye roller. Yeah. I'm like, Oh, here we go. Another transformers movie. It's interesting though because um, if we if we want to do a trailer breakdown uh, from a technical aspect, the look okay James Cameron one of the whatever you think about Avatar and Titanic, James Cameron is one of the best action directors ever. Okay, and the main reason that I think he is one of the best action directors is because you can tell what the action is as it's happening. Because what he'll do is he'll back up, he'll use a wider lens, and then let you kind of like go on for a ride as if you're viewing it from 20 feet away instead of you're in the middle of it. Okay. So Bumblebee, which costs more to do by the way. Yeah, right. That's true. <laughs> which is why his movies are so expensive, yeah, but it, it, to me, it's more, it's more interesting. And, and I'm actually more in the movie because I'm able to understand like my surroundings and what is happening in that moment. Right. Brings me into it more. If I'm going to sit here and break down the Bumblebee trailer, there's a lot of action in that trailer. I can tell what is happening the whole time because that director, um, whose name escapes me right now, but he backs up, shoots it wider, and you can tell. And there's actually this really cool um, tracking shot that they they do. And it's in the first trailer. I don't know if it's in the second one or not. But Bumblebee's fighting another Transformer and they're like in a junkyard or something and she's um, the main character's running and like the fight's happening like kind of around her. But you can tell like yeah. what is happening there. Yeah. They're away and is wide enough of an angle and I can differentiate the two characters. That was always right. my it's, problem with the original one is the the first transfer, the Michael Bay ones is like, who is who? That's right. just metal scraping metal right now. I can't tell. Is that carnage or is that venom? <laughs> right. That's, <laughs> that's another one. It's exactly exactly your thing. point. <laughs> yeah. The, the action in venom is, is terrible. It's close yeah. and I can't tell who's who. And right. Carnet or riot and looks like the same, just a darker shade or lighter shade, I guess, of venom. Anyways, it doesn't matter. I don't want to get into venom anymore. But <laughs> anyways, Bumblebee from a technical aspect, it looks like it's shot with purpose and that you're supposed to be able to tell what the action is going on. It's not just supposed to be noisy to be noisy. Right. Um, so I'm excited for that. I think, yeah. I think it'll probably be a good one. I don't know if it'll be a good movie story wise, but I think at least production wise, um, I'm excited to see Transformers that have unique characterness and style traits to themselves. Very similar. Like, I mean, there's there's certain moments in the trailer where I'm just like, oh my gosh, this feels like the 80s movie mm, finally mm-hmm. come to life. Right, and, yeah, yeah. You, you mentioned know, that before. Yeah, yeah. and it's just, it, it looks a lot better than, than the originals, um, the Michael Bay ones. I keep saying originals, but... Um, Side note on this is this director is rumored to Travis be Knight. 
Travis Knight is rumored to be the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 director since Sean Gunn's gone. Yeah, right? James Gunn. Wait. Sean Gunn. Yes, sorry. James Gunn. Sean Gunn Sean is James' brother. brother. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Uh, yeah, that'd be great if they got they just traded yeah, out yeah. Sean Gunn for James Gunn to direct it. Mm-hmm. They're really funny, actually. And they just trade notes. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're going to go home and <laughs> yeah, you right. just... No, he's he's got like a little Bluetooth mm-hmm. in his ear, and he's yeah. just actually directing him the whole time. That'd be great. That would be fantastic. Um, but yeah, anyways, Knight is supposed to maybe direct the next Guardians movie, which which is interesting. I think that's an interesting pick. Um, he's done Bumblebee, and what else did he do? Something else, kind of recently. Uh, that's a good question. Up, man, I had Bumblebee pulled up. I was looking at Bumblebee. Oh, Kubo. Oh yeah, Kubo and the and the four strings or whatever. Three, Three strings. Two. Two strings. One. One string. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know they broke some strings, but yeah, that was a great and the two yeah, strings. He, I love that. Yeah, that Kubo was, and the two strings. So he directed that, and then he's yeah. doing Bumblebee, and then now potentially, I don't know, Guardians. I, Guardians. That's such a weird one for me. Paranorman. Yeah, Cor- he worked oh, on Coraline. Them. Yeah, he didn't direct those though, but he did. He was the an- one of the animators on them. But Kubo was his first directing one. Gotcha. Anyways, I think yeah, I think it's really interesting. Um, yeah, production I, wise, oh, man, I, the story I'm... story will probably suck, but <laughs> I yeah, I'm just excited to see actual Transformers as I was a kid and and be able to right. comprehend what is happening right, on the yeah. screen and not just be bombarded yeah. with loudness. Um, oh, I want to go back to Overlord real quick. And speaking of loudness, the sound mix in Overlord is incredible. I was in a normal theater, a small theater, and there's uh, the opening scene. They're on an airplane, and they're getting ready to land over um, France. And it's just it's loud, and stuff's blowing up, and it's just... As it, it would it, be. Right. It was mixed so well. And there's actually um, parts of it where like stuff's blowing up and everything. And you can kind of like barely hear the people talking. And I'm like, this is the thing that I liked about it is it didn't, it wasn't like movie realistic. It was like realistic, realistic sound mix where it would sound like that. You would be able to like barely hear somebody talking right next to you as flack bangs are going off, you know, and the plane next to you is blowing up. So, anyway, sound mix is great on Overlord. Just go see Overlord. That's if you take nothing else away from this episode, it's go see Widows and Overlord. That's it. Skip Fantastic Beasts unless you have to. Yeah. But wait till the wait till Netflix. Yeah, it'll be it'll be on there or HBO or something. I don't know. Music but, on Overlord was Jed Kurzel. The music's so good too. Yeah, like it's heavy. It's a heavy. Yeah. Sound movie. It's really good. Yeah. Um, you want to talk about some trailers? Did you watch anything, watch any trailers lately that you've kind of been, I, st- I talked about Bumblebee, but. The trailer that's got my attention right now is Alita. Oh, you mean CGI Fest 2019? Yes. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm a CGI junkie. No, it's fine. It's <laughs> yeah. just, it's a little, it's kind of jarring to me because it almost feels like a movie that they should have just made CGI. Yeah. Um yeah. And then her eyes freak me out, man. Yeah, you don't They're like the big. the big anime eyes. But she's eyes. the only one with them. <laughs> which is why it's weird to me. Maybe that's explained. I mean, it's based off a comic book, right? So all the better to see you with. All right. <laughs> Red Riding Hood reference. What is this? Your Mother Goose podcast now? <laughs> no, I mean, you know, she's a wolf in sheep's clothing apparently. So Yeah, Alita, Battle Angel. Yeah. Uh, originally supposed to be directed by James Cameron. Now it's directed by Robert Rodriguez. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't want to talk about it cause I don't, I don't really, no, I just, I'm not excited I, for it. So. I'm, I'm like, Oh, that looks interesting. I'm, you know, CGI. Let's, let's yeah. 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 It's definitely some a gratuitous, popcorn. it's some gratuitous eye candy that I, it is. yeah, it does seem, <laughs> it does seem like it's shot flashy though, yeah. which is kind we'll of see. appealing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, it, yeah, I'm not, it's not marked in my calendar, but I, I just crapped all over your, <laughs> Back to the fart reference. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, um, I came across this random trailer um, called Captive State. This movie called Captive State. And um, at first, as I was watching, I was like, this is like a political thriller or something, you know, like about because current times are a little rocky in certain areas. And um, I was like, oh, okay, so this is playing off that. And then, like, an alien spaceship comes out of nowhere. Yeah, so it, it, I wrote it down as... Um, and you're poo-pooing my CGI movie. <laughs> well, hey. No, this is... Did you ever see Arrival? Mm, not that I recall. Amy Adams? Mm. Oh, wow. Okay, you got to go see Arrival. So this has got John Goodman in it. Oh, okay. Um, and it feels like it's a weird, like, alien invasion meets dystopian society where... I only watched the first trailer because I like to do that. I only like to watch the first trailer that's kind of like a teaser more than a trailer most of the time. So I don't get too much information. I get just enough and I can see the visuals and be like, okay, I want to check that out. Um, so the vibe I got was like this alien society has has come in and like fixed everything. Like the alien invasion has come and they left us kind of, they let us kind of be us still, but they've fixed society. Like there's world peace now. But it's under the thumb of an alien overlord type of a thing. And um, so it's got this interesting, like, dystopian world. Anyways, it looks it looks interesting. It looks kind of unique in that aspect. Um, I'm always down for a good alien flick. Um, and, like, shot-wise, it's just had some really cool, interesting, like, um, the smoke bomb stuff is really popular right now um, with a right. lot of things. Right. And, like, the the poster for it is just, like, a guy, and he's got, like, two that are just shooting red smoke bombs all around him. And I don't know. Anyways, I, I don't – it's probably not going to be great. But John Goodman's always great, so I'll, I'll probably check him out. I think he's he's so good in everything, um, especially, like, Tin Cloverfield Lane. He's fantastic in that. Or, or as an evil government senator in Evan Almighty. <laughs> Well, um, I guess you just poo-pooed on my John Goodman reference because that movie's not good. I sure did. Oh, man, I guess but I speaking that. of Rocky, I deserve that. Rocky. You mentioned Rocky. Creed Two is releasing this week. Oh yeah, and I'm really excited to see that. Okay. Yeah. I think Michael B. Jordan does a does a really good job. I'm I am a fan. I think he's a great actor. He is. Um and. So we have, you know, the trailer. Ivan Drago's son is the is the dude's huge. Oh man! And I think he's so bigger you, than he, Ivan it, was in the in in four. And so you see, you see, um, oh, I forget that uh, Dolph Lundgren who mm-hmm. plays Drago, yeah. who is in it, and him and Stallone have this glare, and you're just like, yes. I mean, it, you know, yeah. I was talk about formulaic I know. movies, but I mean, it was just one of those things that that is you a, know that is a movie franchise a, that is the same thing every movie, but you always want to watch them. Yeah, I mean, I think it got a little soft 
like in four and five, it got a little soft. Like five was okay. Four is where four Creed was, dies. It was soft. No, that was Creed died in three. Mr. T kills Creed? No, no. What? No, four is the Ivan Drago. Is that four? Yeah. Because hmm. one is Rocky one. Right, Rocky Creed. one. Right. Two is Rocky versus Creed again. Right. Three is Mr. T. Four is Ivan Drago. Oh, I thought that was three. Five is where he has... Five is where the... I can't even remember what happens yeah, in five years. Five the was, robot servant in his house and he loses all of his money. Yeah, and there's this other kid. It wasn't even, I guess, some young boxer that was yeah, coming up. It I wasn't, yeah. I can't remember. And then six is is just Balboa where he goes back into the ring again and that's with uh, the guy from This Is Us is his kid in that. And then you have Creed. Oh, yeah, that's right. Rocky Three with Clubber Lang. Which Clubber was, Lang is Clubber his actual Lang name. Was, that, well, that was that was the um, oh, that so was Mr. Character. T's yeah, character right, was, right, right. was yeah. And then, you got to brush up on your Rocky. Yeah, I do. It's been a while. Rocky Four. You're right. Rocky Four was was Drago. So Rocky Four was pretty solid. But five, maybe it was five and six that I felt like went soft. It was soft a little bit there in the middle. Yeah, I mean Balboa is a little softer. Although I really like kind of the the grittiness and like the story of like the old guy coming yeah. back. And, yeah. Um, five. I don't even remember five. Like I really don't remember what. Yeah, was it five? I, I remember as the kid was wrapped in an American flag on the movie poster. But oh, weird. Anyway, yeah. Th- yeah. that being said, Creed two. I mean, I thought Creed as as a Rocky reboot was yeah that was well done. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was like okay, it's not him. Right. But he's the co you know, he I'll takes be interested a- to see how well this does because Sylvester Stallone's directing this one, um, as opposed to um Kugler, who directed for the first creed. Yeah. And Ryan Kugler is a freaking boss. He is a beast. Yeah. So I'd be curious to see like hopefully it lives up to it. I mean, I think I think I think the pieces are already there to where you couldn't really screw it up too right. much. Yeah. Um and I mean Sylvester Stallone's a fine director. I mean I, yeah, the formula is yeah. already there. You're not going to take too many creative liberties. People are like, for me, growing up watching the Rocky movies and that, you know, you've got Drago's son. I mean, you know, Drago's back and that whole tension. The tension is still there, even from, you know, a one minute trailer, which was cool. Right. So that's what I'll be watching this week, in addition to Overlord. And the wife's really been pulling on me to go see Bohemian Rhapsody. That's good. So yeah, it's fine. I mean, it's, yeah, you, you won't regret seeing it. It's pretty yeah. good. So, well, I think that's about it, man. We had a lot There's to a talk lot of about. Stuff. Jeez. Yeah. We rambled. And we still didn't talk about everything. No. So. Which is why we'll be here next week. And if there's something that you thought we should have talked about that we didn't, you can hit us up on Twitter at The Easy Podcast or on Instagram at The Easy Podcast. Where else can they find us? Well, um, you said Instagram and Twitter and then uh, YouTube at the Easy Podcast Show. And then uh, I'm on Instagram at Zach Abbots and you are on Instagram as? The Eric, Th- not the. <laughs> <laughs> There's no the. the just Eric, lose the just the. Eric Thurston. Cool. So, so you can hit us up there. Same on Twitter. Yeah. You can hit. But if you're listening, hopefully you've already found us on iTunes or Stitcher, Stitcher or Google Play. Google Play. Yeah. yeah. Um, still trying to get on Spotify. I don't know what's taken so long on their end, but whatever. we're going to have to move to a different solution until yeah, it's like, not happening. Yeah. Aggregated hosting and pay five bucks a month, I guess. All right. Well, 
So please donate. Yeah, I was going to say. Please <laughs> donate to the cause. Donate $5 a month so that we can get to a different. We, we don't a have blueberry. a way for you to donate right now, but just send money to an envelope marked <laughs> the easy podcast. Put your loose we'll change yeah. out of your car yeah. in an envelope and send it to Zach Abbott's at P.O. Box. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That'll, that'll work. <laughs> All right, guys, that's it for the episode. Thanks for listening. We will catch you next time. All right, we'll see you.